You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Good morning. All right. I know you're wondering about the hat. Well, I went to Portland, Oregon Thursday morning for the Pure Desire National Summit. I was up there exhibiting the Fearless Series for women, and the people were all there from all over the country, and there was a whole lot of excitement about the Fearless Series there, and they actually played the trailer in the, uh, uh, in the summit itself, and it went off to all the remote sites all over the country. Well, you know, uh, Portland's not Texas, and uh, so the... My wife said to me last week, she said, don't go up there and look like a Texan. So you know what I did? I went and bought this hat last week, and I wore it the whole cotton-picking weekend. That seems like, that seems like the exact opposite of what she told you to do. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe she was hoping that she could collect on life insurance or something <laughs> if I would go ahead. Because she knows reverse psychology with right, me, tell right. me not to do something, and I'm going to go, I'm gonna go do it. It's true. Uh, and, uh, we learned that too, James. Yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to kick against the goads, you know. And uh, Port, part, Portland is such a beautiful city, but I'm telling you, parts of it look like a war zone. The downtown area used to be the place to go at night for a restaurant and entertainment, and at night it's a ghost town down there now, and, and it's just really sad to see that. But the part where we were at was outside of Portland, actually, in Troutdale and Gresham, which are suburbs of Portland, and they're, they're beautiful places. It's just a beautiful place, and it's a beautiful country. And it was nice, uh, nice weather. Um, I... Uh, I have lots of stories I could tell. We, I don't guess have, we, we don't have time for that. I guess we don't really have time, but I mean, it was just a tremendous, tremendous time. I was going to say something, though. I was going to say something very important. Maybe in the middle of the message, I'll get it, and I'll give it to you, and then we'll pick back up, and, and we'll go with it. Oh, I know what it was. Originally, they had me scheduled for a flight. from. I had to go through Las Vegas, you know, on Spirit, you know, because you can't go anywhere directly. And so uh, my flight was from DFW to Las Vegas to Portland Thursday. Everything worked fine. I had a flight that was going to get me back here thir- last night at 9.30. Well, they canceled that flight because they didn't sell enough seats, and they put me on a flight that left there at 3.30 in the morning last night, Texas time, 12.30 their time. Had a six-hour layover in the Vegas airport. So I'm thinking, you know, I've got my pillow with me and everything. I'm going to find a corner in the carpet. I'm going to lay down and get a nap. You don't sleep in the Vegas airport. It's nope. like at midnight, that place is hopping, even in the airport. You go to DFW at midnight, it's dead. There's nobody there. So between them talking over the deal and all the ding, 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 you know, of all, no sleep. So I got here at 5.30 this morning, just came to church, didn't even shower. Wow. Didn't fix my hair. I didn't do anything. So here I am. But I'm, I'm whole. And this Texan survived a trip to Portland, Oregon. Hey, what I hear him saying online, folks, is those of you who are too tired to come to church today, that's... <laughs> You got about an hour before the next service starts to get your butt up here. I got some stars in my crown. Good job, buddy. You like that? I'm, yeah. Thank you for doing that. That's I really assist. wanted to, but I thought it might be a little bit, might be a little bit strong. This morning, we're continuing actually what we started two weeks ago. Last week, uh, Chris stepped in and did a wonderful job, but yes. the week before that, we began a short series on discipleship about radical, radical 
discipleship because if you're going to be a disciple of a radical, you have to be a radical. And as we talked about, Jesus was a radical in everything he did. He was radical in the way he lived. He was radical in the things he said. And he was even radical in the way that he died. And he called us to follow him. And so if you follow in the footsteps of a radical, that means being a radical disciple. So this morning, what we want to talk about is the radical mission of a disciple. To be, what is the mission that Jesus has given us to accomplish? Well, it is a radical, radical mission. Jesus repeated it. He had given it in Matthew 27 before the crucifixion and resurrection. But after the crucifixion and resurrection, as he was ascending to the right hand of the Father, the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples is, you shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to transport yourself back to that moment in time and think of that group of people that he was saying that to. I mean, he was saying, you're going to take the witness of the gospel of grace through the death, burial, and rest. You're going to take it to the ends of the earth. And he was saying it to a bunch of ragtag fishermen, shepherds, former tax gatherers, and a prostitute or two, a former prostitute or two. That was the group to whom Jesus was entrusting the message of salvation. That's pretty darn radical. Yep. If you and I were going to, you know, gather a group of people that we're going to entrust something with that is that, are you going to get a bunch of fishermen and shepherds and prostitutes together saying, I'm giving this to you, now you take it to the world? No, but that's what Jesus did. That's just another expression of how radical Jesus was. And in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 17 and 20, Jesus says this, or Paul says this, reminding us of what Jesus did when he gave the Great Commission. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you're a disciple, you're in Christ, he's a new creation. If you're not a new creation, you're not in Christ, right? Because to be in Christ means to be changed. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And then he goes on. He says, now all these things are from God that I'm telling you, who re reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Then he says, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. Notice that word that Paul uses. We are ambassadors. We are sent by Christ. Now, we are reconciled to Christ by faith. Then he says we're given this message of reconciliation, the gospel, that people can be reconciled to the Creator God. And we are ambassadors as we carry that message. Now, the word reconciliation simply means to bring estranged parties together, parties that have been separated, and they are reconciled. That means they are brought together. That is our mission. We are on mission as ambassadors to be ambassadors of the message of reconciliation in Christ Jesus. On May 8th, I love history. I'm not a historian, but I love history, and I read a great deal about it. I love to read back in the 1800s as America was expanding and as we were moving from that time of the 
Wild West and everything was becoming more civilized. And, and one of the things that made that happen was the railroad. Mm-hmm. And on May 8, 1869, Leland Stanford, after whom Stanford University was named, drove a golden spike on a railroad tie that finished, does anybody know what he finished? The Transcontinental Railroad. Railroad that joined the East and the West. And the moment that he did that, the the telegraphs sent the news around the country, cannons fired, the front page, it was on the front page of every newspaper in America. And why the excitement about that? Why, what was the big deal about that? Because that railroad connected reconciled, if you will, the East and the West. We need to probably have another divorce now. Divorce the East from the West. I was from just the thinking mid- when, he, when, he, when he hit the, the, the spike in. He actually missed it. Did, did Lady Gaga sing and, <laughs> and, and did all the commercials start saying like, we're in this together. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. We're all connected no, now. No, history records, he actually missed it. I mean, the dude shouldn't have been swinging a sledgehammer, but the papers didn't report that. That didn't come out till later. He actually missed the spike, but they, they celebrated anyway. But the whole idea was it was the completion of that railroad system that had taken years. And before that was completed, basically the east and the west coast of this nation might as well have been a million miles away because it would take up to a year to cross from the east to the west. Now with a railroad, You could do it in a week. Mm. The mail could go from Chicago to California in a matter of days at pennies of the cost. It was very expensive to send mail before the railroad, and it took, sometimes it didn't get there because they might have killed the guy riding the Pony Express or on the stagecoach, might have gotten robbed, but now it's secure. And the economies of the East and the West were instantly connected, and that that was an economic boom all over our nations because the coast were brought together, and everything in between was connected to you. Now, let me take you back 2,000 years ago. There were stakes driven. Stakes driven into the hands and feet of Jesus on a cross outside Jerusalem, the Savior. And in that event, much more happened than just a railroad connecting two coasts. What happened in that moment in time was a way of reconciliation was open between man and God. God's creation that was separated from him by sin, when those stakes were driven into the hands and feet of Jesus, ultimately to consummate three days later in the resurrection, a bridge was built, a bridge over which we may cross by faith in Christ and be reconciled to God. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we were reconciled to him through Christ. And then he gave us the message of reconciliation to the world. Take it out there. That's our mission because we are ambassadors of God. Mm. So every one of us, listen, folks, every one of us who is a Christ follower, who is a disciple of Jesus, we are called to be reconcilers. Between man and God, we are called to be ambassadors of this radical message in Jesus Christ. So today's big question is, what does that mean? What does an ambassador look like? What does an ambassador do? Well, the New Testament tells us, first of all, as ambassadors for Christ, we go as a picture. And Derek's going to tell us about that. So an ambassador is someone sent by a control. That's you. 
You better let's grab see, that mic. Let's see if I can, if I can. Just stay right there. Very carefully. Okay, there you go. No moving. You can't get excited. I can't get excited. This is not going to work. An ambassador is someone. <laughs> All you is need a, is a two-piece suit and a tie. Yeah. We'll be a, a, a right good old First Baptist of east side of Fort Worth. Tie Church. Tie Church. Here he comes with the oh, mic. Oh, uh, look at this. Yeah, I'm going to need that. I, this is just not going to happen. Folks, we are professionals or we wouldn't be able to do this. Let's see if this is better. Oh, it is. <laughs> Take that technology. An ambassador is someone who is sent by a controlling entity. And so, in other words, an ambassador goes as a representative. They represent the person who is sending them. They are a picture of sorts of that sending entity. Now, for us in the church, that sending entity is who? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. The Sunday school answer. <laughs> it's a Sunday school answer. Super easy, setting you up for it. <laughs> Jesus. So, here's what's interesting about Jesus sending us as ambassadors for the kingdom. Jesus is asking us to do something that he himself has also done. And I love that about the Lord, and we see this so often in the incarnation. When Jesus becomes a human being, when he takes on human flesh, the the purpose of this is to accomplish many of the very things he is going to ask us as his followers to do. And this is one of them. He's asking us, he's sending us as ambassadors, and this is something that he himself was, an ambassador for the Father. He pictured the Father. He went as a picture for the Heavenly Father. John chapter 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. He's like, Jesus, show him to us. Just give us a glimpse of the Father. (laughs) I love this. And Jesus responds in the next verse, John 14, 9, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. He who has seen me has seen. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Paul, Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. The word image there, it's the Greek word akon. It's the word from which we get icon. Jesus is the icon. He's the picture of the Father. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And so it's interesting that Jesus sends us as an ambassador and, and specifically as a picture of himself because it is the very thing that he came to do on behalf of the Father and now he is sending us to do the same thing. Now here's what that means for us practically. That when people meet you, when they cross paths with you, they should be getting a glimpse of who Jesus is. Now that sounds lofty, that sounds big. I'm not saying you gotta be perfect. You, you need grace, you need a savior. That was the whole point. But the, but the point is, is that when someone meets you, when they, when, they, when they are interacting with you, there should be something different, something set apart, something that makes them walk away going, I don't know, there was just something a little different about that guy. The or question that is, are you a five-year-old's watercolor picture or are you a Rembrandt? Well, and, that's a, and that's a great question. And there's a big that's difference a, in there. That's a there? very good question. Let's talk for a moment, though, about what we're picturing, because it's easy to just say, like, yeah, you ought to be a picture of Jesus, and then kind of move on. But what does that mean, really? What are we picturing uh, to the world? Let me give you a few examples. This is not exhaustive. Number one, we're a picture of servanthood. One thing that we picture to people that we represent as Christ ambassadors is a servant. We're not only commanded uh, to be, again, servants, but this is something that Jesus himself demonstrated. Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This was his mission. This was his purpose, not to be served, but to serve. Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. That is not, that is not in line with the world's thoughts. Yeah, no, that's different. 
Paul said it this way in Philippians 2.4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't, don't take your blinders off. You, you, you got to look around. Don't make this all about yourself. Galatians 6.2, he says, bear one another's burdens. That's an, another way of saying serve one another and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, one of the things that people should see in Christians when they come across one in the world is the willingness to serve to serve yeah. others. I think that's probably what scared Peter so bad when Jesus knelt and washed their feet. Absolutely. Because by that time, Peter had understood that they were to be like Jesus, and if Jesus is washing their feet... That means i got to wash everybody else's feet. Yeah, and Peter said, no, no, Lord, no. Not, you can't wash my feet. No. And Jesus said, well, if I don't, you can't be part of me. Yeah, absolutely. So servanthood, that's number one. Number two, we ought to be a picture of forgiveness. Again, not something that Jesus merely commands us, something that he demonstrates on the cross in Luke 23, 34, what does he pray? Father, destroy these men in hell this very hour. No, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In the Lord's Prayer, when we're taught how to pray, Jesus tells us to pray this way. And one of the things he says is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He's setting up a, a precedent here that the way that you pray and the way that you forgive are intricately tied to one another such that if you are not forgiving other people, your prayers are going to be hindered to some degree as Sounds well. Like the emotional, spiritual. Person. It does. Yeah, Interesting. Please. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then he includes this really important phrase at the end. How are we to forgive one another? As God in Christ has forgiven you. Here's what it means practically. It means that as we are sent as an ambassador... We are to embody the very forgiveness that we have received from Jesus himself. And this is hard, isn't it? Mm. Let's just be honest about this. This is hard. When someone wrongs you, you want them punished. I want them <laughs> to pay for it. I want a pound of flesh. I want a pound of flesh, yeah. And, two and, pounds. And understand something, that when you, when you operate that way in the world, you are giving a picture to people. It's just the wrong picture. You're communicating something about Jesus that is not true. He says, no, 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 no. You go as a picture of forgiveness. You forgive others as I have forgiven you. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that in your life you just let people run over you constantly. You can have healthy boundaries and also be a person who is forgiving. Those two things are not mutually forgiveness exclusive. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not always They're together. not always the same. Absolutely. In Christ they are, but yes, in but human relations. Relations, absolutely. Sometimes you're forgiving someone who's not even alive. So there's, there's plenty of, 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 of ways in which we can be forgiving individuals and still maintain boundaries against unsafe, toxic people. As, as an ambassador of, of Christ, I want you to get this, that people ought to see something in you. They should see the willingness to serve. They should see the willingness to forgive. Third, you ought to be, more than probably anything, a picture of love. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. In the same way that he has loved us, we are to love others in that same manner. This is a huge verse because of what it reveals. I, I, I don't want you to miss this. This is, a, this is a hard one. These are hard words of Jesus. They sound really good, but they're hard words. What he's essentially getting at is that genuine love for one another reveals a genuine love for God. And the opposite is actually true as well. John goes on to write in 1 John 4.20, he says, if anyone says, I love God, 
and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot, not will not, not probably won't, cannot, is incapable of loving God whom he has not seen. Let me give you a truth. If you don't love one another, you don't love God. It's just that simple. If you don't love one another, you don't love God. You may say you love God. You may have all the right religious jargon. But if your life demonstrates a lack of love for other people, your words are empty. You don't love God. In fact, you can't. In fact, we are never instructed in Scripture to love the world or to love people of the world. That's right. Now, we should, obviously. We should love them. But the Scripture never commands us. But it commands us always to love one another Absolutely. in the faith. And he says that relationship is going to be a picture that we are disciples of his. That's interesting. We talk about loving the world and loving the lost. and all that. Scripture never commands us to do that, never one time. I, I challenge you to find it in the New Testament where we're told to love the lost. Now, we should, obviously, as Christians. Love is to be the demonstration of our yes, lives. Yes, but as we love the lost, we love them with the gospel. And, and, and this is just, you know, this is not in the notes. This is free. Um, you're, getting the, you're getting the first service special here. Um, <laughs> well, we've already gotten to a roaring start here, so we might as well go ahead. But, but, here, but here's the reality, folks. This is, this is and, and this is really, frankly, quite sad, actually. The, the behavior, the temperament, the division, the, uh, I don't know, the willingness to take shots across the bow for Christians against Christians, especially in social media, because that seems to be where people have the most courage, keyboard warriors. Um, <laughs> That is demonstrating something opposite of what Jesus says. That if you love one another, this is how the world's going to know you're my disciples, that you love one another. People don't see that in the most public forum on planet Earth. And so what is the world's opinion of the church? What is the world's opinion of Christians? It's not good. And, and, rather, than, and rather than, so it's like Christians have this propensity to want to befriend and be gentle to and be kind towards people who... I'm just going to be honest with you. At the end of the day, could give a crap about you mm -hmm. and your Christian beliefs, but somehow we want to win them over with kindness, and yet we're not afraid to go after one another in this same forum. We, we've, got our, we've got our lines crossed here. It's the opposite. Well, it's the exact opposite of what we're commanded. While we're off the path, <laughs> um, I have churches all over the country that I've been through in the last 12 years and taught, done seminars people that are using my churches that are using my workbook, Life Change for Every Christian. One of those churches is in Reno, Nevada. Remember Lori Perez? Any of you remember Lori Perez? She and Mario were here, got saved here, baptized here. I married them. They moved away. It's been about 20 years ago. You got to remember, this is like the Moab generation. The oh, Egypt generation is dead and gone. That's there, right. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few remnant. There's well, a few remnant over here. Lori went on to get her counseling license. She's been on the staff of a wonderful church in Reno, Nevada, a great church, a church of almost 1,000 people, where she's leading their counseling ministry and their, small, their freedom group ministry. They went in a matter of two weeks from 600 to 300 over all this crap that's going on in our culture right now politically. That's incredible. Several young staff that decided that they had to be social justice warriors in spite of what it did to the body of Christ just got on this mission to change the church, and it split their church. Now, what did that say to the non-believing community in Reno, Nevada? Those people can't even get along with each other. 
Why would I want to be a part of that? I could tell you story after story after story of churches I have connections with, godly people, godly churches that are rooted in the word of God, yet many of our people are aligning themselves with the world and cursing their brother in Christ. Let me, let me give a, an illustration. It, it'd be like this. If you had, just pick something in your life, okay? Uh, substance abuse, uh, a, a, a person that you are... Are we writing a sermon maybe. right now? Yeah, this is fine. Okay, good. A person that you are connected to, maybe a, 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 someone that you're marrying that's not good for you, toxic, that, that, and it is creating problems in every one of your relationships. And you've got Christians that are going, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, and, and it's severing relationships, people that you have loved and that you have served with and that you have poured into and, and all of those things. And, and, and you are finding yourself more and more isolated because of that one thing in your life. What would you tell that person about that one thing? It's toxic. It's toxic. Stop doing that. And I just want to tell you, some of you need to take that to your, to your social platforms and ask that same question. And, and, maybe, and maybe get off social media. If it's destroying you, if it's removing you, if it is separating you from people who love you, maybe it's time to count the cost and go, you know what? I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather preserve these relationships. There's so much damage that's being done right now because we are unwilling to recognize that the picture we are bringing to the world with regard to loving one another is more important than we give it credit for. We are in a spiritual war. There's no doubt about it. But it isn't against each other. No. Even if we disagree. Yes. The war should not be against brothers and sisters in Christ. We can disagree if we're willing to and still the key is, do I love this person yeah. enough to subjugate myself and my wants and my opinions in order to have harmony? Amen. That doesn't mean that we negate the truth. It doesn't mean that we go away from the truth. But this is what he's talking about. And, and he says, it's going to be so radical in the world when you love one another that way that everybody in the world is going to go, these must be Jesus people. Yeah. Because this is not the way the world operates. In our world. Let me read you a statement. This was from an American ambassador. He was asked, what's the hardest part of your job? This is what he said. That I'm never off duty. I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wherever I go, I'm a representative of the United States in this foreign country that I've been placed in. People are always watching me and how I am going to act. When I go out to a restaurant, I'm a representative of the U.S. and how I treat the servers. When I go out into the marketplace, I'm a representative of the U.S. and how I conduct myself. I am constantly aware that the only impression most of these people will have of the United States is the one they get from me. I'm the only picture of the U.S. that most of these people will ever see. That's right. Same thing is true about us as Christians. We are sometimes the only picture that someone will see of Jesus. Some people in this world are not Christians today because they have never met one. Some people in this world are not Christians today because they have. <laughs> You've got to understand, it's, it's not up to you for them to get saved. That's God's job. But, but understand this, that he does ask us to go as his ambassadors, to bring a picture of Jesus into the world, a picture of servanthood, the, willing to put others, the willingness to put others before us, a picture of forgiveness, the willingness to forgive others as we have been forgiven, and a picture of love to love others in the way that Jesus has loved us. 
That is the picture that we are to conjure. That is the conduct that we bring. Paul said in Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We go as a picture. But the question is, are we a worthy picture? Ambassadors go as a picture. Second, they go with a purpose. I'm glad, thank you, good, glad you got that hand mic because you couldn't have done that with that crackling thing. I couldn't have. Yeah. I was going to be like this <laughs> the wouldn't whole have worked. time. That wouldn't have worked. I love this, I love this concept that, yes, we go as a picture, uh, but we don't go as only a picture. Okay? A lot of people say, well, my witness is just the way I live. Do you live that good? Oof. No chance. I mean, do you live that wonderful a Christian life that somebody's going to see how you live and they're going to go, oh, I've got to fall down and trust Jesus because of the way this person lives? I've seen some of you on the road. I, I know that's yeah. not true. Yeah, you know, giving people, hey, you're number one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> honk if you love Jesus, I honk, and he shoots you the bird. Yep. You know, come on, give me a break. But I've heard that. Oh, well, I don't really impose the gospel on people, but I just live my witness to people. And, and so you assume that you're so righteous and holy that they're going to just see the gospel in you, and they're going to know that they need to repent of sin and need to turn to Jesus because you live such a holy life. That is a bunch of bull. The picture aspect of this is only one part. The second part, as an ambassador, goes with a purpose. A purpose. Ambassadors are sent for a person. In other words, there is a mission, and if there is no mission, what, what do you need an ambassador for? An ambassador goes because he's been sent on a mission. In fact, do you realize this, that everywhere the U.S. ambassador lives, in whatever nation it is, it is called the permanent mission. Wherever the ambassador is, it's the mission. Wherever he resides, that is is the mission. Why? Because he embodies the mission. He goes there on a purpose to implement the mission. So 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors for Christ. We go not only as a picture of Christ, but we go with a mission. We go with a purpose. We are called and we're called to carry out that mission wherever we go. And it really connects to what Derek was saying because yes, we are to reflect the character of Christ, but then we are to be ambassadors for Christ on the mission of the gospel. At home, at work, at play, wherever we are. Because wherever we are is the mission. The mission follows me because I am the ambassador. So it is, the permanent mission is with every one of us wherever we go. Is this message needed? Let's, let's think about this for just a moment, okay? Is the message that we go as ambassadors to carry, is the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ needed in our world? Well, get this. And I don't, my calculator, I wanted to give you the actual numbers, but my calculator doesn't have that many zeros on it. So if some of you people have one of those calculators that go all the way to the trillions, then tell me what this looks like. But I came across some statistics. If you could take, there's about 7 billion people on planet Earth now, okay? If you could reduce that 7 billion down to be represented by 100 people, so each one person would represent however many it is, okay? Get this. Out of that 100, 15 of them would be Muslim, 11 would be Hindus, Another 15 would be either Buddhist or Confucianist. Only eight out of that hundred 
would be genuine born-again believers in, through faith in Jesus Christ. So 90, through faith, that is only, of the earth's population of 7 billion, only 560 million genuine Christ-following believers. There's a lot of religion under the Christian name, but I mean people who genuinely understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, nearly one half of the earth's population is Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim. 92 out of every 100 people on this earth, if you reduce that 7 billion down to 100, do not know Jesus Christ. Do not understand the salvation there is in Christ Jesus. Does Jesus need ambassadors? You bet he does. And an ambassador doesn't mean just somebody that comes to church to get their spiritual fix. It means when we go out that door, now get that, we go on mission. We come here as ambassadors to worship and study and learn. And we walk out and we go into the mission field, every single one of us as an ambassador, as a picture of Christ, but to accomplish the purpose of carrying the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to turn this over to you because you're going to bring us in. Now, what is our purpose in this message? First of all, this is a message of regeneration that we carry as ambassadors. And regeneration, by definition, means to breathe life into something that is dead, to regenerate it, like young Frankenstein. Yes. You know, he regenerated Frankenstein, whatever. I love the hump on Igor that changes sides, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> regeneration means to breathe life into something that is dead. So we go, folks, listen to this, we go as ambassadors of life to dead people. I see dead people. If 92 out of 100 people on planet Earth, 92% do not know Jesus, everywhere we go, you're seeing dead people. Ephesians 1 says we were all born dead. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. But those of us who know Christ have been regenerated. We have been brought from death into life. 2 Timothy 3.5 says he saved us not on the basis of our own righteousness. None of us had any. That we had done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, he breathed life into us when we placed faith in Christ. And Jesus said of the enemy, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So we go as ambassadors of a message of life, of regeneration. You can be new, a new person. Second of all, we go as ambassadors of rest. Now hang with me here for just a moment. I'm going to take a nap this afternoon. Don't you dare get in my way. That would be a dangerous thing to do. Because I haven't slept since I got up yesterday morning at 6 o'clock. Okay? So I, I, I'm headed for rest. But that's not the kind of rest that we're talking about that. Okay? Now get this. If you aren't an ambassador for Christ, you are an ambassador against Christ. Now those are not my words. There is no neutrality. You can't ride the fence. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me, he's against me. He who is not with me is against me. Now, World War II, Switzerland declared neutrality. In this war, this spiritual war, there is no Switzerland. There is no neutrality. James 4, 4 says, do you not know 
that friendship with this world is hostility toward God? Therefore, listen to this, Christian. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you want to be a friend of this world, of this political, godless ideology that has permeated everything since the beginning of time outside of the body of Jesus Christ, you are making yourself an enemy of God. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're, we're ambassadors of peace because when we came to Christ, peace was declared. Until that time, we were enemies of God. People, I hear unbelievers say all the time when, when I tell them that. say, so you realize that you're an enemy of God? You're fighting God? And they go, no, I'm not. I, just because I'm not a Christian doesn't mean I'm fighting God. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are against me. If you're a part of the world... You're, you're not at peace with me. So we are ambassadors of peace. But get this, folks. Understand this. Please hear this. We get this so confused that Christians are supposed to be just nice people. Jesus never called us to be nice. He called us to be warriors, spiritual warriors. So the peace that we are ambassadors for, listen, is peace with Christ, but not peace for us. Mm. Let me say that again. It is peace with Christ. That's the rest we enter into, but not peace for us with the world. You see, when he calls us to in his rest into his peace, he calls us to be enemies of the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, listen, if you follow me, they're going to hate you because they hate me. They're going to persecute you because they persecute me. They're going to run you out because they've run me out. So when we enter into this rest with Christ, we enter into war with the world. But we are messengers and ambassadors of this rest to say, you know what? You can have rest with God. You can have rest with him. You can, you can cease the war. And, and God no longer will call you my enemy. He will call you my son wow. or my daughter. And the last thing that this message is about, and I'm going to skip ahead, we are ambassadors of release. See, the message of the gospel is ultimately a message of release. The war isn't about deciding a winner. Every war that mankind has fought it's fought to decide who's going to win. This war is not being fought to decide who the winner is. That has already been decided at the cross of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, do you know what the book of Revelation means? Yes, I do. What does it mean? Jesus wins. <laughs> you mean I spent six weeks teaching Revelation last hey, year and I could have just said that? Just said that? Something else. Wow. Dang. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Mm. And that release that 
our message as ambassadors is all about is that you can be released from the condemnation of sin. You can be released from death into life. You can be released to the abundance of Jesus Christ. Come to Christ and you will be released. That's a pretty darn good message, isn't it? You are in prison. Come to Christ and the key is turned and Jesus will set you free. So, we go as ambassadors with a purpose. The purpose of the message of regeneration, new life. The purpose of rest from the war with God. The purpose of release from the captivity to death and sin. And finally, an ambassador has power. An ambassador has power. Imagine being given a job and not the power to do the job. <laughs> How frustrating would that be? Would How be... many of you can relate to that at work? How many of you have had that? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I've been on staff here since June of 2008. That was when I came on staff. That was 13 years ago, if we're, if we're counting. A little over 13 years ago. You were a gopher then, weren't you? I was you? a gopher. Just I was kind a, of a gopher. Go for this. Go for that. Exactly. I uh, began in my early part of my time here learning Photoshop and Illustrator to do a lot of the uh, print media marketing that we did. The flyers, the mailers, I worked alongside Laura Reeves, James' wife, and, and we did uh, pretty much everything together on that, uh, in that, in that category. And I remember one time, it was probably six months into really doing that job, um, Laura stepped into my office and asked me to make a couple changes on something and, and then export. You mean graphic changes graphic on the computer? Graphic changes, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I did. I made the, the changes and clicked export. And she was standing there and we were talking and she goes, is that done yet? And I said, no. And she goes, does it always take that long? And I was like, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes like normally about 30 to 45 minutes for it to render all the graphics. <laughs> and she goes, you're waiting 30 to 45 minutes every time you do this? And I was like, yeah, that's just what I've always done. That's what my was, computer does. It's an old computer. And I remember she immediately kind of walked out of the office, and I was like, that was weird, and went into her office and sat down and ordered me a new computer. <laughs> and she came back in, and she was like, I can't believe you've been doing this job for this long, and you haven't said anything. She was like, that, that should take five minutes. That should take five to ten minutes. And I remember she said something that I've, I've actually kept in my, my data bank, and I use this a lot with, with staff members now, which is you have to give a technician the right tools. If you're going to ask someone to do a job, you've got to make sure they have the tools in order to do the job. Otherwise, it's, you're, you're just wasting your time, and you're going to be frustrated. And, and it's funny because recently, uh, Morgan Phillips, our media coordinator, recently stepped into a lot of the uh, print media and actually now video editing, which we weren't even doing at the time, a lot more on her plate than there was on mine 13 years ago. And this discussion came up earlier this year. Kelsey and I were talking about getting her a new computer, because the computer she had was, was slow. It, wasn't, it just wasn't processing It quickly. had one of those old floppy disks. Floppy disks. It didn't Not have a really. floppy disk. <laughs> and, uh, and so he started, we started talking about it, and I didn't even have to think about it. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Get her a new computer. Uh, uh, you got to give the technician the right tools. He who has freely received must freely absolutely. give. Absolutely. <laughs> because I know how frustrating that is to do that. I know how frustrating it is to do that. It's true in the workplace, and it is true in the church. God has called us to a task. God has called us to a job to be ambassadors for his kingdom, to be a picture, to go with a purpose, to be ambassadors for Christ. And folks, we go with power as well. Mm -hmm. We're not running on old hardware. We have the Holy <laughs> Spirit of God. We have the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. James quoted at the very beginning of the service, but Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We have the power to do the job. It's not about being smart. It's not about being witty. It's not about being able to speak eloquently or anything like that at all. Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, the gospel. And where there is gospel, there is power because that is where the Spirit is. We have the power to do the job. Not only that, the the Spirit of God gives us gifting. Mm-hmm. So you have unique gifting as a, a follower of Jesus Christ to enact the message of the gospel, to be an effective ambassador for Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You have everything you need, mm. everything you need to do everything that we are talking about this morning. Can you imagine the, that ragtag bunch of people that Jesus was saying that at Acts 1-8, and then he splits for heaven? Oh, Yeah. And they're like, whoa. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And they're going, yeah. are you kidding me? What are we supposed to do? What are we going to do? Right. Jesus tells them to go and wait and pray. And at the right moment, on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. And what happened? Peter stood up and preached that great Pentecostal sermon in 3,000 people going, they're going, came to Christ. I thought he was a fisherman. How, I thought he was a fisherman. This guy can this? preach heaven down. So let me, let me just, just get honest with you here for the end, okay? We'll close it with this. I, I thought about this last night, actually. I was thinking through this message, and it's interesting to me that messages like this highlight why the consumer mindset in churches across America is so deadly, why it's such a, why it is something that, that when pastors, when we get together and think about the state of the church, why it's one of the number one things that makes us cringe, that church somehow, the belief that, that it somehow exists to meet your needs, that, 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 it, that if I go into church going, well, what do I get out of this? You know, I don't know that I really like the music, or I don't really like that guy that talks, or I don't really like the chairs. They're not got, very soft. I go to or, church because it makes me feel yeah. so good. And it's like when, when we bring this consumer mindset to church, and I'm never actually called to action, if, if it's something that I'm just accessing but I'm never participating in, what it does is it creates an environment where there are a lot of people who think they're Christians despite the fact they're not. And so what happens then is is we get up and we teach a message about being an ambassador for Jesus. And we talk about having power. And and some of you feel so unequipped, like you don't have the power. Man, I, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't feel like I'm ready for that. And it's because you're not. It's because you don't. It's because you don't value servanthood. You you prefer resentment over forgiveness. You prefer to think about yourself over other people. Love is not really in the equation for you. Putting aside your own wants and desires for the sake of your brother or sister in Christ and for unity and for the witness to the dying world out there who desperately needs the gospel, none of that matters as much as what I get. Mm -hmm. And it illustrates a really deep and profound sad truth, which is, What John said in 1 John, if you don't love them, you don't love God. And you don't have power because you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because you've been duped into thinking that if you just come to church on Sunday morning and you put your best on and maybe you give a little bit of money, as long as they're doing the things that I kind of want them to be doing. Somebody dunked you in a baptistry one time. Yeah, then then somehow that makes me a Christian. And it's not. And you're you're not really ready for war. You're not really ready to be an ambassador we got to get serious about this. And so what happens is we, we preach a message like this, and, and people walk away going, well, that was a downer. No, it wasn't. It just wasn't what you wanted to hear. 
yeah. Let me let me say this. Let me say this clearly. We hear, if you love Jesus, He's going to give you a big house. Let me let me say this as clearly as I can, just as clearly as I can be, and 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 you can write it down. This church, sitting on a hill, does not exist for you. That's right. And it, exi- you, it exists you can, for Jesus. And you can leave, and this church is going to be fine. It doesn't exist for you. It exists for Jesus. We are about Jesus here, not about you. I love you. I will continue to love you. I am not here for you. And we don't perform and we don't teach the truth to tickle your freaking ears. We are ambassadors. And if you really know him, if you really are his ambassadors, if you've really been born again, then this message isn't a downer. It's a call to action. It's a call to remember who you are. You're an ambassador of the one true God. Go as a picture, then, of who Jesus is. And go with purpose, with a message, with a mission. And go with the power of God to accomplish the mission. Show them who Jesus is. Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, the challenge, the reminder that this, that this mission that you've put us on, it's not about us. It's about you, and, and what, a, what a blessing that is, that, it, that it's not about me, that it's not about us, that it's about you, the only one who matters, the only one who is worthy of honor and glory. We love you, and we submit to you that we, we fail more than we like to admit, and we need your grace, we need your forgiveness. And the more we receive that forgiveness and that grace, God, help us to give it away as well. How we love you and we honor you and we thank you that you call us yours. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We need to put a sign on that side. This is entered in worship. On this side, go for the mission. Because that's what happened. You walk out the doors, you're walking into the mission. You become an ambassador. As an ambassador. God God bless you. We can't do it.